This episode is brought to you by Matt Duchesne, because if he hadn't scored and then done big arms, this might be a very different show. Safe to say, this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. Racing and shoots and scores! Nathan McKinnon! And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burnaby Radio for November 11th, 2019, 11-11. Matt Calvert here. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche are all on injured reserve, and we'll talk about how they handled the last two weeks of strains and breaks. But first, here to some voices of the week. Joining us as usual is Earl. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. Back on the show again is Jackie. How are you? Great. And back on the show again is Rudo. How are you, Rudo? Doing well. Let's go. Last time we met, I closed the show by saying, well, a lot of stuff, but one thing I said was to buckle in, because Burgundy Radio's bye week probably meant the Avs would have a ton of things happen. It's, uh, sorry about that. The Avs have played six games since then to a 2-3-1 record. The middle four games, they scored one goal, zero goals, one goal, and nine goals. Nine goals? Nine goals. So, here's your last time on the Colorado Avalanche segment. During the three-day break, we found out Gabe Landeskog is out indefinitely, with what we're guessing is probably a broken foot. His kid was born too, but he's out for quite a while with his whole lower right leg in a walking boot. No Miko, no Gabe, and also no Colin Wilson, who's day-to-day with a who-knows-what injury. How did the Avs fare? Well, first, they fall in overtime 4-3 to the Florida Panthers. They blew a two-goal lead in the third. That's fueled in part by Nikita Zadorov getting baited into a fight that the officials then blamed him for, for some reason. This feels like a month ago, but that was just, like, less than two weeks ago. Uh, the Florida player was scummy, Zadorov was a dummy, and the refs, well, officiating is random, isn't it? Avs goals by Matt Nieto, Jonas Donskoy, and Nathan McKinnon, and then in overtime they just get torched. Oof. But... If y'all remember this overtime, was this, like, the same old overtime problems popping up again, or was this something else? Uh, Not really. Pretty familiar. (laughs) No. The Evs just lost the opening face-off and never really had possession. Then they kind of got scrambled in the defensive zone. Yeah, I mean, like, it was a pretty tough bounce. The Evs tried to clear it, and it just, like, magically magneted to Barkov's stick, and it was like, oh... Oh, well. And then the group poke check of doom happened, but, you know. (laughs) Not the first time he got burned poking in that game. No. But it wasn't like uh, we ran down and unleashed a shot from from a bad angle for some reason, which went wide or rimmed all the way around and turned into a breakaway. No, it wasn't them getting pinned. Like, they always seem to run themselves into trouble last year or so. It wasn't the greatest, but I agree it also was kind of fluky because McKinnon had the puck and then he kind of lost it and that's all it was. <laughs> I mean, there were there were four bodies of the six on the ice all packed together in the slot and the puck just kind of went the Panthers' way and it's like, well, darn. Yeah. But remembering this For game, me- the disappointing part was they definitely blew this game. Yeah, and for me, the the overtime that the part of overtime that was familiar to me was that they have trouble handing off coverages in three v three, which you know that was something that I I picked out last year as a problem, and and it, you know it is difficult if you have guys weaving, um, 
you know, it's it's difficult to keep your coverage. You know, if you want to stay in a zone, hand it off to the other guy, or you know, do you stick with man on man? Um, but <clears throat> you know, when everyone comes together in the center of the ice like that, and then breaks out suddenly, it's you know, it's very confusing. Then the Avs fall at home two one to Ropa Hintz, who scored both goals for the stupid Dallas Stars, and one of those was shorthanded. McKinnon gets the only Avs goal. This game was pretty bad to watch. 38 saves for Kudobin. 12 minutes of minor penalties in the second period. But, if you only have to pick one tape to burn from these last two weeks, that isn't the one. No, it's from the beginning. It's the beginning of the plunge. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to burn the traveling back-to-back the next day with Arizona, which is a 3-0 loss in the desert that didn't feel that close. 33 save shutout for Darcy Camper, but Colorado didn't do much to make his life difficult. But probably, you burned the game from Tuesday of this week. That was definitely yeah. the worst. That one was just atrocious. Avs lose 4-1 to the Dallas Stars, and they trailed this one for 59 minutes and 41 seconds. I counted. There were 14 minor penalties in this cursed nightmare, six penalty minutes just from Bednar's failed challenges, and one of those was for the time Radic Faxa scored with an obviously broken stick, which Bednar challenged under the Vegas rule, where you can challenge if the play should have stopped because the puck hit the netting or something. But because playing the puck with a broken stick is a penalty, and not a play stoppage, the goal stands. Who the hell writes the NHL rulebook? I mean... Pro hockey will be great once it's out of beta. (laughs) (laughs) JT Confer is the only Avs goal scorer here this was an absolutely hellish four games uh, which is basically five if you go back to Anaheim it's an 0-4-1 streak and the rest of the division catches up hot streak is basically wiped out now so let's talk about what was going wrong there because that's a full week plus of just yikes yeah. A lot of their chaotic play got caught up to them. I mean, obviously the injuries, not having Landeskog compounded, but I think they were getting away with some things, and it kind of bit them when they couldn't just score out of their problems. They were also pretty bad on the power play at certain points during the stretch, That's and an that didn't help either. <laughs> but I don't think they were doing something so different because they were losing. I just think it got magnified. Yeah, the power play um, lost uh, the first Dallas game pretty much single-handedly. Yeah. Um, I I think part of this was when you have two guys like Landy and Miko out of the lineup, um, you've got to create a whole new regime, and it's just finding chemistry that quickly is tough. Um, I think the coaches made some decisions they probably didn't like in retrospect, but it's just, I mean, you, you know, you've got to try stuff. Um, I think what we've seen over the past two games, maybe they're on to something, but, um, you know, what, what they were doing wasn't getting it done offensively and the defense really took a nosedive and we, we've seen the, the penalty kill, which is in the top five for a while, um, has dropped kind of in the in the mid pack range now, so you're you're just you're looking at a, a lot of chaos, <clears throat> uh, a lot of guys that are in roles that maybe they 
you know, weren't prepared for in camp and are learning on the fly. So, um, you know, this is what you have to do in the middle of the season when you're losing guys left and right. Yeah. It does feel like the Ebbs fell into the trap of having everyone kind of stuck to their spots here. Yeah. Through these the losses, they tried Kadri on the top line and it clearly did not work. Yuck. Even before that, they had tried like moving Comfer in there and it's Comfer, so you kind of know what that's going to look like. Jost moving away from center does not really work. It's, it's a bunch of things that they kind of knew weren't going to work, but had to try it just to see maybe. And then yeah. they didn't work. And eventually we will get to it, but they, they have started to figure that out a little bit better. But when you, when you're trying that and you have no chemistry and your defense is struggling brutally to control the puck, it's a recipe for disaster. The forwards also stopped supporting. That didn't help either. Yeah, the breakout has been atrocious during that stretch too. I mean, um, you know, we saw the old problems from way back in the day of everybody flying the zone, and then oh golly, the the defenseman actually doesn't have the puck. So maybe we oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing. You, you know, you look at like the heat map from the Arizona game. I remember they took so many shots from above the circles and almost nothing yeah. uh, from in the slot. And that's, <clears throat> I, I know they were, you know, I, I think Max scored a couple of goals from up high and they're like, oh, okay, you know, maybe we can build off this, but that's, that was not the right direction to go. And then, you know, that, that sort of it's led just... into more. It's bad, bad hockey. Like yeah. McKinnon could take a shot from inside the top of the circle, and instead he opts to turn around, skate back to the point, turn around again, and then shoot. Yeah. And it's like, why? What? <laughs> I mean, I know he's looking for space, but still, I mean, it's, there's the reason there's space there. Because <laughs> <laughs> the defense is saying, sure, you can shoot. Yeah, from there go if you ahead. Want. <laughs> but I mean, it's, do. it's really all epitomized by that 19 second into the game goal that the Dallas Stars scored when you have yeah. Sam Gerrard, who's double teamed by a four check, and there are three forwards on the team who are all in the neutral zone. Yeah. And I guess. Far blue line, even. <laughs> yeah, like at least the neutral zone. And I, I guess you could um, argue that he should run that behind him to Eric Johnson. I'm not even convinced that was open. Yeah, EJ was standing in front of his crease, just like yeah. I was going to say, like EJ like... is not in a good place to take a pass there. <laughs> and Gerard should have still just like dumped that or something, but it, he had zero support. Yeah. And everybody and, wants to yeah. dump, dump on Sam for that turnover, and and most of us are in agreement that his he was among everybody else on the team and having a pretty rough one against Dallas in that game. But that play, he's an absolute victim of circumstance. Leave him alone. Yeah. And a, a, lot of, a, lot of, <clears throat> a lot of us made the comment, like, you know, where, where is the, the group of five breaking out? And that obviously wasn't there, you know, basically for that whole stretch of, of bad games. Um, you know, it, when you start losing that, and I know part of that is on the defense. Like, if they don't get that puck moving quickly enough... You know, that exacerbates what we see with the forwards all at the far blue line waiting for the play. Um, 
I mean, it, it, it's 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 partly the pace that they're used to not being there, but it's just you know you've got to make sure that you're helping your buddy out before you start trying to play with pace. Well, this is the first play of the game, and you got to question why Dallas decided to be that aggressive on the breakout on the very first play of the game. Well, it works. I <laughs> the thing is, like, sure, I'll give Sam a pass for the first turnover, but. When you get a second chance in the NHL and you just shoot it immediately back to the guy who gave it to you, that was a bad game for Sam. He doesn't have bad hole games. I would say he had a bad hole. That was a bad hole game for Sam. I don't. (laughs) He was bad that game. Well, nobody gets a gold star when you're losing five in a row. But I don't know. If you look at the stats, he was not the worst in that game because Bednar benched him basically he only played like 14 minutes instead of his he usual played more 21. than that he didn't go look it up it wasn't 14 i'll look it up right now while y'all talk about something else but uh, you're right though like no one played well in that game it was just an awful game all the way around oh my bad Gerard played 15 34 yeah, and I, I part of this is you run through a streak of teams that play the exact way that even with a you know a fully healthy lineup are, are going to give the Avs problems. You know, you've got Anaheim, Arizona, and Dallas. <clears throat> they all play a sort of cloggy, very heavy forecheck game. That you know that that's that's sort of the kryptonite to the Avs' speed, and they really have to work to overcome that. And they just they weren't able to do it, but it's. You know, it's something that we're going to need to watch throughout the whole season is, you know, sort of how do they combat these kind of teams and start to have some success there. Because they've got to play Dallas a lot. They've got to play St. Louis a lot. They've got to play Winnipeg a lot. These are teams that skate heavy at you and they don't, you can't handle that by having half of your support on, you know, the other side of the planet. Yeah, it doesn't work. That well, it works in the Eastern Conference, I, but it does not work against I, the West. I think it works not all the way, but a little bit better when the Avs are healthy, right? Because then yeah. all of their lines aren't overmatched, and if it's McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen blitzing up the ice, the other team is going to be like, "Oh God, we probably need to cover those guys." Right. I mean, my point was basically like, you know, in, with a fully healthy lineup, these are the teams that will probably have a little more success against the Avs rather than, you know, a team that's willing to skate with them. Right. Not that there's like a hard count. But you also can't count on being healthy ever again, really. I mean, these guys will come back, but other guys will get injured too. I mean, I would gladly trade someone else injured if it means Stanton's healthy right now. Well, yeah, he. He's the one I would choose to. I mean, it's... I'm not the only one who has thought or said this, um, but but especially through the second Dallas game, it's really felt like the what the Avalanche have been trying to... Like, how they've been trying to play their game is built for, you know, the opening night roster and not the actual players they have on the ice now. And yeah. we finally um, may see a little bit of adjustment as things go forward. Um, I think that Eric Johnson had some some post game quotes where he maybe said something similar, um, but like, what it really comes down to is 
they're just trying to exploit like big fast passes and fast skaters that they can't exploit right now because they're not in the lineup. Yeah. So there's there's always that kind of question like of how much of this is the team playing like shit and how much of it is just bad luck. Do you think there was any element of this of maybe the, the team just hit a couple of hot goalies in a row? Um, because they did shoot 3%, which is in the you know, hilariously bad area between the Anaheim loss and the Dallas loss number two. I definitely think in Arizona, some goalieing was happening there. The Avs couldn't generate much. I don't think they played terrible, though. They just couldn't yeah. generate a lot of chances, and the ones they had just were stopped. I think both of the Dallas games, it was more poor play. The Avs made good goalies look great, I think. You know, I don't know how much they got goalied or compared to they just took a bunch of low percentage chances and the goalies were playing well enough. But there was some bad luck, you know, pucks that bounce over Groob and off of Don's going into your net and things like that. It's tough to watch, but the Avs did not earn any good luck with their play either. So it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I think if there was any bad luck, it was on the defensive side, really. I don't think that they deserved any luck with what they were doing offensively <laughs> in those games. Um, no, nah, I really, uh, they didn't, because because y- you look at, you know, any of the heat maps from those games, and it's very perimeter-oriented. It's just, if you're not going to make the effort to get shots down low, <clears throat> um, you know, that that's where you create some luck. I kind of, the Arizona game with Kemper was a really good example of like, the Avs offense starts really, really slow, and it's a perfect warm-up for a goalie. Yeah. Like, they gave him an easy first period to get in the game, and then in the second period, they get three power plays in a row. The first one sucks. It's really easy for Kemper to kind of get down what they're trying to do on the power play. The second one's okay. Kemper has to make some solid saves, and it's now starting to get confidence. And then the third one, they actually get quality opportunities, but Kemper's in the zone by then, and he's just going to stone him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Put, put the defense in front of them in the same boat because, you know, after a while they get into a rhythm of, all right, you know, we know what these guys are doing. We feel pretty confident in what we're doing, and that just makes it easier to defend. I mean, uh, I guess you could say another another thing that was happening during this stretch was the Avs were pretty predictable, and that's, you know, that that's tough. The power play is always going to be predictable, and it doesn't help when you've got Carl Soderberg <laughs> killing your penalty. Because <laughs> it's not like they do anything different yeah, than they did was, last year. That was hilarious watching yeah. Soderbergh just know where the puck is going five <laughs> seconds before it does. I know. He's like waving to him. Ha, I'm here. They might want to think <laughs> about that before they play Detroit because I'm sure Nemeth's going to do the same thing. I mean, you guys will probably agree with me, but put Cam and Evan in the Miko spot. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure. We can save that for the actual good games because it probably makes more sense there. You know what's more fun than talking about the bad games is talking about the good games. So why don't we just do that? <laughs> Let's um, do that. Do we want to talk about the the really good game then? Because I think you have to start with Matt Duchesne there. Yeah, we found out Philip Grubauer was out day to day with a minor something or other after the game against Dallas number two. 
So it was time for the Avalanche offense to step up. Paulo Francis, Francis? Holy shit. Paulo Francis is going to be in net for the foreseeable future. I mean, Grubauer will be on the trip that's coming up, but these are Frank's games for now. On Thursday against the Nashville Predators, Kale McCarr opens the scoring in the first minute. So there you go. Offense is apparently going to step up. Predators answered. McKinnon took the lead back again on a 5-on-3 power play that he drew. To start the second, a not-great goal scored by Fake Forsberg. And then Matt Duchesne scores a loopy, magic bullshit goal on a power play the Predators didn't deserve to take a 3-2 lead. He went to the corner and did big arms like he'd accomplished something. And the Avs looked at each other on the bench and said, Hell no. Oh, it wasn't just that. He was telling the crowd to bring the noise. Nah, I think that's oversold, to be honest. I think he was just calling his teammates in for the hug. Okay. I, I mean, that's possible. but I Honestly, I don't think this was a big deal. I mean, I went back and watched it. He celebrated. I don't think it was over the top. It just put his team in the lead. Like, you're going to anticipate a celebration there. Plus... None of, especially anyone that's playing on the Avs right now, they don't give a crap about Matt Duchesne. Oh, they didn't play with him. Why? Why would just why because he Don didn't do something Skoy. wrong doesn't mean it didn't piss everyone off either? Okay, why does Donskoy care or Graves or Kadri or all the other? <laughs> those are the ones that scored. Donskoy was the next guy that it, scored. It see the thing is, there's enough guys left like McKinnon and Ooh. EJ, especially that. It just that, needs that's to set about the mood. It. <laughs> it it sets the mood though. That's the leadership core of the team. And when they, they got that anger that they, side, that they gave up the lead. I mean, that's what they should be pissed about, not because I'm Matt sure Duchesne. they were. I don't but think just, you that see was that an response. exacerbating factor. <laughs> yeah, if it, that's, it's honestly pretty sad if that's what kicked their ass into gear because that game absolutely was not about Matt Duchesne. It wasn't Until going it into was. that game. Until it, was. it wasn't going into that game. It wasn't I mean... in the game. It wasn't <laughs> after the game. The point is something kicked their ass back into gear. And yeah. if that turning point it happens... Right to, then. <laughs> if it happens to be that player doing the Alright Boys, I did it celebration, then let's just look at what happens next. Because 31 seconds later, Donskoy scores on the rebound from McKinnon. 3-3. 20 seconds after that, Ryan Graves from way downtown, 4-3, Avs. A minute after that, Andre Burakovsky, 5-3. 50 seconds after that, Matt Nieto brings home a shorthanded goal, 6-3. Two minutes after that, Matt Calvert gets the rebound from McKinnon, 7-3. Three minutes later, Don scored with the baseball deflection, 8-3. Don Scoy would complete the hat trick late in the third by just powering through Dan Hamuse. I guess Donskoy has that in him. 9-4 is your final. Colorado get 45 shots on net. They only allowed 24 to a Predators team who's completing for the div- completing? competing for the division title is what I'm trying to say. What was different to y'all that night? Because I'll, I'll tell you what. Within the first 10 minutes of that game, it was really clear to me that this team was back in gear. Maybe not the yeah. scoring first. I mean, maybe was not 9-4 getting... in gear. But they were back to playing getting... hockey again. Getting a goal. Well, getting on the board first has fueled a lot of their huge wins. I, I think mean, that it was Makar especially, which is something they were lacking was scoring from the defense. I do think that scoring first helped. 
But if you go back and look at that first goal, there was a lot of hard work that went into eventually getting that puck to Makar. And I don't want to call it effort level because I don't, I think it's part of it, but I don't think that's what it really is. But I think as we talked about in the losses, this team kind of figured out, okay, we can't just outskill people anymore. We just have to get to the dirty areas and, and do the hard work to create goals and, they simply outworked the Preds all night. I guess you could maybe say determination. Yeah, or focus. I, um, I did think that I, they I think would... they just looked a lot more focused when they came out on the ice. Because, again, a lot of things that we were seeing over the bad stretch were just, you know, passes to nobody or, you know, looking around and, and not knowing where you're supposed to be and, and just sort of general confusion and chaos. And, and that's just... That was not what we saw at all in that first period. I mean, it was amazing how they controlled play. And, you know, 2-1 is not a real good indicator of, of how much they dominated that first period. I really thought they were going to have their come to Jesus before the second Dallas game. That They had two days off. They certainly, I'm sure, looked at video. I'm sure they talked about what they were doing wrong. But for whatever reason, they really kind of needed to hit a rock bottom in that Dallas game to really buy into the idea that they had to be that focused and determined. I, mean, I will say Nashville did not forecheck for shit either. No. And I think that gave the Avs a lot of confidence. Yeah. It does help when one of your biggest problems has mm-hmm. been not supporting in the face of a forecheck to then come out and not face a forecheck. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yep. Bad move on their part. <laughs> But, I mean, the last few games you would have seen the Avalanche not necessarily capitalize on what was given to them. But in this game, they created chances and capitalized on most of them? I think they definitely used a week or more's worth of karma in that second period. Uh, so They were flying. They were. It wasn't this like... Is, I mean, a point I was did. kind of alluding to earlier is, like... Guys like Kadri weren't working on the top line, and Donskoy was functioning, but he was in a role of being the grinder on the line where he had to dig pucks and work extra hard. And so, in this Nashville game, the Avs put Calvert on that top line, and that freed up Donskoy to use his skill a little bit more. And he looked significantly better in that role. He's probably still a little bit over his head on the top line, but when you let him play his game a little bit more and have Calvert digging, digging pucks and, and getting the crap out of him, Don Squay can kind of sneak into that front of the net spot and get those rebounds to clean up and, and use his skill like we saw on the, the last goal of the game as well. Yeah, who thought that was going to work? I'm afraid how long that's going to work for. Because at some point that, that line is definitely going to get out talented. I'm hoping it doesn't have to work that long. But the but it's just yeah. I like, mean, you've got a fourth liner on your first line. I mean, this is an optimum <laughs> territory. So no, but we're all just kind of looking at it like, uh, Matt Calvert next to Nathan McKinnon. I mean, you've you've tried but, a bunch of other things, and those haven't worked either. I agree. And I called that. I definitely this. called that when Mika went out. <laughs> like, if you look at the roles that need to be filled there. Miko was kind of the more passer setup man as much as we want him to shoot the puck more. He's going to be the guy feeding McKinnon. And Landis Gog was going to be the guy digging pucks and, and playing solid defense. So in that regard, Donskoy being the feeder and 
Calvert being the guy who digs pucks makes sense. And I, it's bound to fall off very, very quickly. But at least from a, a role standpoint, McKinnon kind of understands how to play with those roles. I think with yeah. these hybrid lines, playing at home has helped them. I know Bednar doesn't get super anal about line matching, but I think uh, being able and to again, choose your matchup. There's really no optimum matchup for him with this lineup. <laughs> no. <you know? laughs> but any advantage you have in being able to control that, I think was also a help. Yeah, I mean, you'd you think sometimes he probably tries to keep certain people away from each other. At least you hope that he didn't match up the Graves pairing against P.L. Dubois, t- you know, two shifts in a row on Saturday on purpose. Because that didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, Graves had a real rough game in that one. <laughs> so, um, the injury train, of course, does continue. Nikita Zadorov takes a puck in the mouth in the middle of a penalty kill against the, the Predators and uh, play doesn't stop and he has to clear his own puck with his jaw fucking broken so officiating yeah. <laughs> remains random. He's out for until his jaw's healed so that's cool. Yeah. I think Zio will be back soon enough. Guys play with a wire in their jaw all the time but that we complain about refing all the time and consistency and lack thereof it is one thing, but when a it's player is legitimately hurt on the ice, like, come on. You can you can be better than that. The, the league is trying to move away from head injuries and you're going to watch a guy take a puck to the face and go down and not blow the whistle. That's and very bleeding. bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get you're supposed to wait until the, the team with the guy down possesses the puck before you blow they the whistle. They have discretion for head or serious right. And it's just they they didn't make the call that they could have made in that situation, and that's tough. I mean, I understand the thought process behind it, but it's you know it's just the system failed there. And you also kind of wonder because it's C, and he doesn't get a lot of breaks in life, (laughs) or at least on the ice. And uh, I don't think he's an embellisher or anything. (laughs) No, but he doesn't have. or the reputation that he's gonna you know if that's uh that's a veteran out there i think they get the whistle z is a veteran at this point he, he just has the reputation for being the guy that makes dirty hits and so he doesn't get any benefit of the doubt on them um, well he's not the ian cole level warrior badge veteran you know i mean i just noticed this the other day i thought ian cole was like 34 <laughs> but he's not. He's thirty. No, he's got the hips of a fifty-year-old man now. So I'm, I mean, I, I he got the hips of a newborn, right? They're, they're brand new. <laughs> Did he get him replaced? I guess I don't. I don't know what he got done on him, but you got to think that some of the wear and tear was cut off, right? Just I suppose. That gun yeah. Out of there. The thing. With I don't even think it's a reputation thing because Cole takes a bunch of stupid penalties and gets called for him too. The difference is Cole is smart like a fox. He's got a very good gauge of when the refs aren't looking and can get away with his bullshit. Yeah, there, there's definitely a, a piece of that, and I'm I'm not sure that there's much reputation that's going to come into whether the, the play stops because you got hit in the head with a puck. I think this is a lot more likely. Just they didn't realize it hit him in the face. Yeah. 
Or they, I think they just didn't see the blood because I mean his face was down on the ice and I like I couldn't see the blood until he started moving around a little bit and I'm like oh god yeah I didn't I see mean, any any at all ever so yeah Sokolowski jumped on the ice if I'm a ref and I see that you gotta kind of think something might be up but whatever <clears throat> but they also started play after Don Skoy's hat trick when there was still a hat on the ice so I mean it's not like they paid attention in this game. <laughs> <laughs> one of the predators just kind of grabbed it with the end of a stick and blooped it into the net behind Franco's. Like, well, that's pretty smart. That gets nobody's going to skate on that. <laughs> so this game was a party, apart from the apart from Z's broken jaw. Yeah, I mean, four shots, four goals, and I think it was two two minutes and twenty one seconds. Somewhere um, in there, yeah. I, what I liked was, I think Graves' goal was, that was maybe a little cheap, but most of these were pretty, you know, they're pretty solid goals. They they weren't really gift. Yeah, I mean, that that's oh. that's why I didn't just name names. That's why I kind of tried to describe what happened on them, just to kind yeah. of hammer home. These are not bullshit. Like, M- McKinnon rebound, Donskoy does his little spinny thing, and I think that's kind of a worse goal than other people seem to think it is, but that's still, they worked for that. Ryan Graves has a screen in front of the net. Like, I thought Tyson Jones tipped it. Like, that's that's not uncontested. Yeah. I honestly don't remember Burakovsky's goal. Oh, my Just God. That was a nice really thing. nice wrister. Yeah. yeah. Burakovsky special, basically. Yep. And obviously the uh, shorthanded goal you have to earn. Well, we can talk about that. He picked that out of that, the air, though. too. That was fantastic. Yeah. The, the Nieto goal was great. Uh, well... Confer made a nice pass as well, but Kamenev's pass on the Burakovsky goal was yeah, dumb. that was really awesome. I've never seen someone pause, hold on to the puck, chip it up off the glass like that out to someone to create a two-on-one. And then McKinnon puts another shot in off the pads, and Calvert finds a way to get that get that rebound home. Yep, and then a puck kind of floats through from I guess Eric Johnson and. Donskoy gets the def- deflection in on that. So yeah, I mean, it's at, at naval level too. It, it's like it's party time. Like, like this yeah. is this is not three shots, three goals on Braden Holby. No, it was pretty close on Soros. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking quality of shots, not just that the, there weren't. Yeah, no, yes, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I don't know, maybe yeah. maybe Ham House is just totally checked out at that point, but who knew Donskoy had that in him? That third goal? <laughs> that power move? Yeah. It's well, you know, he loves to cut to the center in the neutral zone, but yeah, he almost never like just says, I'm going right up the middle. Stop me if you can. So I if he can do that with consistency, boy. That's Av's second line when they're healthy could be dumb. Yeah, I mean, I think Donskoy's shown a lot of growth so far, especially for just 17 games. Um, no, I, I think he's discovering things about himself that he just wasn't allowed to do in San Jose because you know they had such a stacked lineup and they didn't need him to be <clears throat> the, the kind of guy that, that he has to be now. Um, you know, his defense is still, I don't know, it's, it's a little iffy. It's a little better than than maybe I I, I thought it could get by this point, um, 
but I I really like what I've seen from him offensively. There's you know there's creativity there. There's diversity. So, you know, if he can keep that up, that's you know that that's really nice to have. So Donskoy stepping up some. We'll get to who else has been stepping up a little bit later. Um, with Sidorov going down, the Avs of course called up a forward. What? Yeah. With uh with Jason Megna. Who, who did not play as the Avs win 4-2 over the Columbus Blue Jackets. That call-up, I think, was insurance, just in case Nathan McKinnon ended up being too injured to go. They held him out of the third period, and he didn't practice on Friday, but then he played on Saturday. No big deal. This was the 22 Cal- minutes. Yeah. <laughs> this, this was the Kale McCarr show. He scores twice. One a beauty, and the other, well, we, we take those. Seven shots on goal in total for him. Sam Girard gets a slap shot through on the power play, too, and Nazem Kadri would ice it late in the third with an unassisted goal. Pebble Francois gave up a howler late in the first, but otherwise he made 39 saves. That's pretty decent. Not decent is the thing Nick Felino did to P.E. Belmar. A high, high elbow to the face. Belmar's head hits the ice. He's probably out with probably a concussion that the team will probably call an upper body injury. And Felino's going to get suspended. We don't know how long yet. Um, from a neutral standpoint, this was a great game. Super entertaining. How was it for you? This was the game the Avs needed. The Nashville game was great. Super fun. Awesome. Good feels. You don't have to deal with the losing streak anymore. This game is sustainable. This is repeatable with the lineup that they have right now. They prove that they can win real hockey games. Yeah, yeah they the needed nine to goals... back up that game, and they did. The nine goals is nice for to see goals, to see a win for the LOLs, but it's it's just it's not a real hockey game at a certain point. And I agree. I I really like this Columbus game. It was entertaining start to finish. They were working hard. It was there were chances. It was fairly even at some points, but then at other points the Avs just kicked it up a gear and then especially seeing Makar have a special night and and goals from defensemen three goals from defensemen that's how you get secondary scoring so yeah i mean i think it was so entertaining just because columbus didn't try to clog up the game they're like well the abs are willing to go toe-to-toe speed wise with us let's do it um so you just you basically had two young fast teams saying okay let's party and i i thought that was a fantastic game to watch um you know, even in some of the the more, I don't know, grindy aspects of the game, it was still, you know, it wasn't like watching Dallas or, or Arizona just try to clog the game into submission. Yeah, the pace of this game was the best part of it from an Avalanche standpoint, because um, like yeah. er, early on, like uh, things are back and forth. It's you know, it's a lot of fun. McCarr's jumping up into the rush more than once. He's accidentally healing a puck that finds its way in, which is funny that that goal happened because otherwise Corpusella was getting a lot of just like give me a break kind of saves, like not where he's standing on his head, but where he's got the horseshoe lodged. You know what I mean? Like he's getting a little lucky on some of these bounces and stuff. So it was wild that that shot went in, and also that Cadres bounced in off the ice like it did. Um, but I was never really worried about the third period because the pace slowed down. Colorado kept forechecking. There was never that ex- that long extended shift back to back from the Blue Jackets or anything like that. Colorado did well of protecting the house without going into the turtle. I think you also weren't afraid of overtime in that game. 
you figured worst case scenario, it's just going to go to overtime and it's probably coin flip against Columbus. So I think that kind of eased the pressure in this game, but they also had such a good handle on it that it, there was no need for a massive turtle in that third period. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, there were some parallels to the Nashville game as well. I mean, they were down a goal uh, early in the second, you know, for actually first half of the second, really. Um, you know, and they, they had to overcome some adversity because they, you know, they had played well, but they were down. And, you know, they, they didn't mope about it. They didn't try to, you know, out-defense them or anything. They just kept playing their game, and eventually, you know, the Kale McCarr show happened. The sad thing is, is like the toughest part of the second half of that game was getting through their own five-minute power play. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the the two penalties, which were, you know, maybe one of them was warranted. I, you know, I really didn't like calling either of them, but, you know, maybe one of the, the calls on the Avs were sort of the, let's see if the other team can get back in the game kind of thing. Ugh. Um, that worried me a little bit just with the Avs PK, you know, being not quite as on it as they were a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, after they killed both those off, you know, they they didn't turtle and it was back to fun hockey. That, I really like the Avs PK in this game. I mean, yes, they yeah. gave up the first power play goal, but it was off just a horrendous bounce. Like the PK setup and the way they were executing was actually pretty good. Yeah, that that first yeah. goal was so so bullshit. Like Confer makes the block and it comes straight. Like like Francis reacts to it because obviously, and the puck just bounces straight to an open blue jacket who's got an open net to shoot at. Like really? Yeah. No, I mean that was you know that that wasn't sort of a positioning or aggressiveness error like they had been making over the past week or so. Um, but it just you know the way that the the power play actually worked well. Um, I thought it was interesting that that Coach Bednar or Bennett, if you if you like, um, seemed to like the the second power play unit a little. It's because Kamenev's on the second power play unit. And he is actually capable of making quick and effective passes in a system that desperately needs those that aren't just perimeter passing. Yeah, I'd say Sam I agree. has a little bit to do with it too. I would agree with that as well. Um, I, I know this is going to sound blasphemous, especially with the the streak he's on, but I don't think that Kale McCarr is the best power play defenseman on the Avs right now. Um, I would I, agree, I, and, and I, I think. You know he has the talent to be that. I just don't think that what the other guys want to do or not do works with what he's trying to do. I, I just think it's sort of a a chemistry issue, and it seems like when Sam's up on the first unit that he gets them moving around a little bit better, um, and he obviously drives the second unit almost exclusively. And not now that Kamenev's actually playing, he's got someone to play with too. <laughs> the- I would still put Makar on the first power play unit until they get at least Miko back because you saw the goals he scored last night. He can do that on the power play. Put him on that side. Don't put Burakovsky or Comfort or whoever the hell else they keep rotating in down there and just do it. If if you're putting Gerard on whichever power play unit, you should be drilling into the forwards on the half wall to work the puck low and then work it low to high. Just... Do that over and over and over again. Because if Sam is going to shoot the puck like he did on his goal against Columbus, 
that's a real shot. That's going to beat goaltenders, and he is fantastic in the low to high game because he'll get the puck at the point and he'll take advantage of that space that's been created. And another thing the second unit has that the first unit does is the Russian Hulk in front of the net. And I mean, the goalie can't see anything because he's like gigantic. Yeah. Shout out to Val Nichushkin, who the last couple games has like, he hasn't scored a goal or anything, but he's deserved it. He definitely yeah, he deserved a point last, last night. night. Yeah. Like he his his game last night was his best of the season. And I don't think that's even remotely controversial, but he's he's been solid for a few games now. Like that, that's not new. Yeah, I kind of did some thinking on this today when he started off the first few games and looked. You know, he looked pretty good on the fourth line. Um, I think he was still playing his game and it was working okay on the fourth line. And then he took some time off. I would guess that they went over a bunch of film with him and stuff like that. Since he's came back. Um, he seems to fit into the system a lot better and he's just playing quicker and he's a lot more focused on the ice as far as his forechecking and being needs to be in the defensive zone. And it's just, it's allowing him to, to do a lot more. And then they put him on that line with Belmer and Nieto kind of took Calvert's spot. Yeah. Like they didn't put him on the, on the fourth line, which is still, but I think maybe that also helped because that line has more of an identity and a role. It lets him kind of into, get into grinder mode, and then he's been effective doing that. It's a little bit of that. Yeah, and I think it's almost a, a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe Belmar and Nieto make their line mates better. To it, you know, within limitation, but. They do. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of everything. They can cover for him on the the goal that he didn't get an assist on, where he got blasted into the boards. Oh. <laughs> Belmar was immediately on the play, though. Nuke got blown up, and Belmar jumped on the loose puck the second it happened. And so stole it, his assist. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. But yeah, they, they they play as such a unit, that line does. Which uh, brings me back to our topic from a, about 20 minutes ago, where the forwards and defenders were not playing as a unit as the team was losing and losing and losing and losing and losing. Has that started to turn around? Yes I think they put more no. of an emphasis on it. I think they were focused on it these last two games, but... They still just play this chaotic style that's very high risk, high reward. I mean, they still have guys flying the zone, and yeah, Columbus's second goal was just brutal. Yeah. Like, yes, Graves made a horrible dump out attempt, but all three forwards—Kadri, Donskoy, and McKinnon—I think it was just yeah. straight bounced. So Graves had no good options. Like the entire far side of the ice was completely wide open. Like all Ford had to do was go over there and they had a free zone exit and they just didn't. Yeah. No, that was very res reminiscent of the Sam goal that we talked about earlier in the show. Um, you know, same sort of things happening, just leaving the defenseman back there thinking that everything was going all right. And, you know, uh, the opponent four check closes in and, and suddenly it's not all right. And you're too far away to help out. The main difference being that shot should be saved. 
Yeah, definitely yeah. not a good goal. So, maybe, you know, Im- improvement in other areas, but not necessarily that one. No, I mean, I think there's improvement. It just, it's, you know, it's an ongoing process. That's something they're going to have to work hard at, I, basically, every game to make it work. Well, I think the the depth players have it down a lot more. The uh, Burakovsky, Jost, Comfer, and then on down from there, I think all are supporting the defense a lot better, but I think they still are trying to get that McKinnon activation going but Landy and Rantanen aren't there, so it's not working on that top level. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sort of everybody wants to be the F1 kind of thing, and, and you know, you, you've got to cover back a little bit better. There's only one of those on the team at a given time. <laughs> like, that's not how this works. Yeah. It's not like the first guy out of the zone gets to be F1, so it's a race, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But it's just frustrating because that's not new. No. I mean, that's like a Gila era stuff. The team has struggled with that for... I I don't know how long. Ever? But transition games a big part of your identity. It is. That's the type of stuff that puts them over the top. Makar's game winner in this Columbus game was off the rush. That beautiful Confort de Nieto goal against Nashville was off the rush. If they're not creating rush chances, this team is going to struggle. So I, I do understand it to an extent, but you have to be intelligent about it. You can create yeah. rush chances with forward supporting, like Kamenev did on that pass to Burakovsky against Nashville. Right, it's usually the second pass that gets you the transition chance, not the first one. So it's you may as well stick around and make sure the first one happens. You can't get a rush chance if you can't keep the puck. Yeah. This doesn't make any sense. So we're, we're now on... Belmar will be the sixth starting roster player injury. Um... Five if you don't consider Colin Wilson a starting roster player because he started injured. <laughs> First of all, zero sympathy for Nick Felino. I don't care yeah. if he was remorseful after. The fact that on the very shift before that one, he tried to run Kale McCarr and lined him up. If he had actually hit Kale McCarr, he would have been beaten to a pulp on the ice. So Probably true. Yeah. Nikita Zadorov would have run down from wherever he's resting on all his painkillers and gotten suspended for a long time fighting that dude. And I'd have been yeah, cheering him on because what are you doing? Running around. And that is a concern. I think more and more players on other teams are going to take runs at Makar and he is pretty good Thankfully, at getting McCarr away is from it. Makar a cat, yeah. Like, <laughs> but, you can, yeah uh, I'm not really him. worried about him. <laughs> Makar is just like, whoop, and Felino face first into the boards. Yeah. Um, no one takes one, though. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, it, yeah, I mean, we're getting to the point where attrition is becoming ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've obviously talked a little bit about how Jonas Donskoy has kind of flipped into the first-line role and what he's been able to do there. Um, so who else has been tasked with stepping up with, with all these injuries happening? And how have they done? Um, 
I want to start with the, the first name that we talked about not working out on the first line at all with Nazem Kadri. He's still an interesting case because he's clearly a top six forward, but I'm not sure if he's found his fit yet. And he obviously can make some good individual plays, but he still is playing selfish in a way, which that's not necessarily bad, but that's kind of his style. And it's more obvious, let's say. Nazem Kadri is what everyone wants Tyson Jost to be. <laughs> He's a legitimate two-center with a ton of talent that can't really play on the wing. He can't really play with other superstars, but he's capable of driving his own line. And once the Avs realized that, they sat him down in the second line C spot and just said go, and all of a sudden it started working for him again. Which is good. Yeah. It's hard to find guys that can drive their own line. So that's obviously his the value that he brings. It's just how to create a line around him. Yeah, it's Nathan McKinnon's line mates, but I don't think anybody's been more victimized by the rash of injuries than Nazem Kadri, because it means that his line mates keep getting yanked all over the place. And that doesn't yeah. help either. He's trying to find chemistry, and then there's someone new all the time. I I, I do sense a little bit of chemistry with Jost. Um, Comfer is sort of an enigma himself, so it's it's tough to say whether he's got chemistry with anyone or not. I mean, he's just... You know, he's a guy that, that moves from line to line and, you know, he can help you out. Um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I, I liked what I saw from that line at times last night. It was, you know, it was second line-ish. I, I think what, <laughs> what Jared Bednar kind of needs to do is look at that line as like, you know, this line is probably not going to be very stalwart defensively and you use it in, in the, the most offensive situations to get the most out of it. I mean, I think Jost is just too inconsistent on the wing, but uh, the abs are in a spot where they kind of just have to deal with things like that. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the opposite of inconsistent is Matt Calvert, who gives you the exact same game every single night. And apparently that's going to work with Nathan McKinnon for a little bit. Hopefully not too long. Yeah. Get well soon, Miko. <laughs> I, I mean, <clears throat> I wouldn't hate to see Kamenev get a shot on the wing there. Like, really. Uh, Calvert, don't fix it if it ain't broke, but if it starts going sideways, just throw Kamenev on the wing and say, hey, just pass the puck to McKinnon. <laughs> so then we, we talked about the roles on that line, and now you're doubling up that role with Jonas Donskoy again. You are, but They've tried Nieto up there. It didn't really work. They're they're out of grinders to really do unless you really want to try Nachushkin. Nah. <laughs> yeah, Donskoy's kind of the luxury grinder, so he probably is the best option. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Donskoy and McKinnon definitely have legitimate chemistry. I think we do need to talk about Kamenev specifically because he is getting better game by game. And he has found himself to a three-game point streak. He has. Primary points. For someone that plays as little as he does, that's pretty significant. And two of those assists are legitimately very good assists. The one to Burakovsky and the, the one to Burakomfer uh, were both <laughs> really nice. Burakomfer. So, Burakomfer. They're basically Burakomfer. the same guy. 
And he's, um, but, he's still getting less ice time than, for example, TJ Tynan, who was called up for the game against Nashville. Yeah, well, Tynan played for Bednar back in the AHL days, so you know how that goes. That doesn't mean yeah, I'm I thought not it was a little odd. I, I thought it was a little odd that as the fourth line center, he didn't move up and, and sort of take over the third line role when, when Belmar went out. Um, you know, they they chose to go with a big old blender instead, but but Kamenev only had one shift after that happened. And I realized, all right, you're protecting a lead and, you know, maybe Kamenev isn't a guy you trust yet, but, um, you know, that, that seemed like a, probably an opportunity missed to take a look at, at, at Kamenev in a little bigger role. I... When they're in this talent, you can call it a talent crisis too, is they're going to have to utilize some talent, whether they would prefer to or not, but, having all those grinders play those minutes isn't going to be a path to sustained success. You're going to have to do something with guys like Kamenev to get more out of your lineup sooner than later. I mean, as it stands right now, when the abs get healthy, I think Kamenev should still be in the lineup. Obviously you take Tynan out before him. I probably take Nachushkin out before him, even though Nachushkin has played fairly well. And even after that, you're you're looking at a lineup where you should be trying to find room to fit Kamenev in. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough to take a guy scoring a point every other game out of the lineup. And you know, I, I, I realize he's not getting a ton of ice time, but he is making a lot of use of what little he's getting. Yeah, and and, and like We've both said, or no, they're they're not BS points. Like, right, like these are real assists that he's really earning. They're primary points, and I mean that that's if if you got a healthy Colin Wilson at this point, and that's your your twelfth forward is Kamenev or Wilson. Like I, I don't think that's a hard decision. Yeah, yeah Wilson's not bringing anything that Kamenev can't. And it's where do you want to invest your minutes in? In something that's going to benefit you in the future. Or something that isn't. When what you're getting out of it right now is the same anyway. Another. Yeah, I mean, it looks like for name. the time being, it's he's not going to be out of the lineup, so it's not something we really need to worry about. Right. And another fourth line name who maybe you could expect to be stepping up because they don't belong in a fourth line role is Andre Burakovsky. That's yeah. also kind of an odd one. It's It really seems like Bednar does not trust him because throughout the whole season, he really hasn't had a ton of ice time. You know, I actually don't think that's it. I, I think Bednar is kind of coming to the realization that in the Avs' current situation, he needs to have the lines spread out. He needs to have a little bit more scoring depth top to bottom because they don't have the talent that you talked about. So it can be a little bit more offensively impactful with Burakovsky down there. Granted, Burakovsky's also getting a bunch of power play time and, and right. he's not really getting fourth line minutes. So Yeah. No, I, I took that as sort of doghouse at first, but it, it it doesn't have that feel. But he also of everyone that's gotten a try on the line with McKinnon, like I refuse to call top line at this point because it's just there is no top line. It's the top. Yeah, <laughs> but it's they, the top they... est line. <laughs> <laughs> it's the top forward on, on the McKinnon line. Yes, he is one that has not been tried. 
I mean, I think it's pretty clear that McKinnon doesn't want to pass the puck to Burakovsky, so... <laughs> but he wants to pass it to Calvert? No, but Calvert just <laughs> runs in and digs out pucks after McKinnon shoots and misses the net, so that's the difference. Yeah, Burakovsky isn't going to be in that mess like Calvert is. It's not his And game. also, Burakovsky likes hanging on to the puck, and so does Mac, and that's just not a great combo. And I think that's part of why Codder didn't work up there either. Also, because Kadri's not a winger. Like, he's just not. That didn't help either, yeah. But I think that's part of why, you know, what Rudo said about spreading it out, you know, Burkowski's really good at zone entries. He's good at going through the neutral zone. And, and you know, that's something that you need to make in a fourth line not be trapped in the defensive zone all the time. And, and you know, <clears throat> it, it has worked. So... You know, it does make it so you can roll four lines at times if you want to. Someone else I think that's kind of stepped up in this current talent crisis, I think it's a good word for it, talent crisis, is, uh, I mean, obviously we've got plenty of legitimate things to complain about with the, with the coaching right now, um, but Bednar's willingness to try things and then when they don't work, not to continue trying to force them because damn it, it should work has been yeah. helpful, especially this week. Um, cause like you, you put Kadri on the top line because I mean, you, you, well, you need top line talent to make your top line happen. Don't you? Uh, okay. So when, when you run out of top line ideas, now he's willing to put Matt Calvert there and move Burakovsky down and spread things out. And I think that's helping. And and he's been very open publicly about this being the plan too. Like he he tells the media, "Hey, we're gonna be really shuffling the lines up here." Yeah, I think one of the overarching aspects of Jared Bednar's personality is his stubbornness. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that's something that he has to overcome to, you know, be a, a next level coach. And you know, this is a great sign that he's sort of getting out of that shell of being highly dependent on things that have worked in the past and trying to to force things that aren't working just because they should um, i'd I'd like to see more than just line shuffling to really say that like I mean the power play being systems? one well i I know I understand it's a balance because if you on one hand you start complaining about everything being the same too much you could complain just as easy on the other hand that it's just the blender all the time and there's no consistency but I think he's got to do a little bit more than just mix lines up to show that he's not stubborn also maybe utilize a call up in an actual role that would show some growth rather than stick the vets on the fourth line and it's interesting because he talks about the out of the box strategies they've used on the penalty kill and it just begs the question, well, why don't they do that on the power play? <laughs> why don't they play on the power play like they do five on five? Like, that would be an improvement. But, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, he's obviously, like, like this is evidence that he is no longer stubborn anymore. I think, I think this is more like he's being flexible despite his own inclination towards stubbornness. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's... You know, not stubborn anymore, but he's he's definitely less stubborn about it. Um, it is one thing that he's being flexible about. I think it's definitely had a positive impact. Yeah. 
And then the last you know name I mean? that I definitely want to get to in this conversation is uh, Pablo Francois, who's been... He's been a backup. That's exactly the, the way to put it. He's been good enough to be an NHL backup. Well, I, you know, it would have been nice if he had more th than three starts before he was handed the starting role with Grubauer injured. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how you could expect a whole lot more out of, you know, a backup with no NHL experience than what he's given. <laughs> it would have been nice if he wasn't a backup without NHL experience, but... Well, that... I mean, the, the, I mean, how much more could you have played him this year? This year, no. I mean, yes, he... Like, this year, right. the usage is fine. Yeah. He waited maybe a little touch, but nah, I, yeah, you couldn't have expected him to start more. It's just, yeah, it's more about last year. And yeah. Would, would three starts, would five starts have really mattered? Yeah, maybe not, but it would have been more than zero. <laughs> but right. I, I will have to give him credit. I mean, the way things were after the Dallas game, five losses in a row, and coming home to play a good Nashville team... And it's like, here are the reins, buddy. Good luck. Yeah. The the season's basically, you know, it's probably too dramatic to say the season's on the line, but it's they really needed a win. And it's like, hey, you're the starter now, so good luck. Yeah, and and he, you know, I I don't think he would have said he played that great that game. And you know, the, I I think the team sort of got, you know, I don't know if it was rallying behind him or not, but. I think part of the reason that, that some of the goals happened was just, the, you know, they did need to outscore their problems that night, and, you know, and they were able to, to make that happen. Yeah, Actually, I think that might be a factor in why they pulled it together starting with that game. I, I think it is something that does happen, is when you see the backup in and you know, it's like we cannot be a disaster in front of them. We, ha <sighs> we have to <laughs> focus and try to play a better game. <laughs> To not hang this guy out to dry. And uh, that's why you see across the league that backups can have success in, especially in small sample sizes. I love yeah, this idea think... of choosing not to be a disaster. I'll have to figure that out myself. <laughs> 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 well, I, I, I think last night was even more important just because, you know, other than the, the bad um, second goal um which he definitely had help on um you know he played a great game and his two other wins before that had both been blowouts so it's just like okay you know it's like he he won the Tampa game and and of course the the 9-4 victory over Nashville yeah and um, and honestly, but this that, was that, the first game that was in doubt pretty much until the end yeah. and he you know he got it done and even that fourth Nashville goal was like there was no defense at all the avs checked right. out and went home and Nashville scored again, and then it was like they said, "Okay, we we I guess we have to finish this stupid game." If you insist, <laughs> yeah. But like the 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 Forsberg goal was like you really would like him to have that one, and the whoever scored the second goal but from Columbus, you definitely want to have that one. But otherwise, hence backup. He was almost a legend, though. If that puck got past that last defender. Yeah, <laughs> I think it would have rolled in. I don't think it was that soft of a shot. I think it would have gone in. No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it was on the mark. I mean, he's already half a legend. Too bad. Just, just for recognizing the situation and going for it in his what is this? His third start, fourth start. <laughs> yeah, it would have been the first ever Avs goalie to get a goal. First ever. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bear got one in the AHL, but that's as close as it come. Wow, that would be something. Well, maybe he can get it some other time. He's obviously <laughs> got an eye to when the the uh, opportunity arises, because hey, there was no doubt. Like, he was going for that, like, full on. It wasn't, I, you know, re- contain the puck and, oh, I, sh- I have an open lane here. It was catch, drop, fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I, I, I love their confidence and sort of the, you know, having the head in the game at that point. Um, you know, just because, again, I think that's important because, you know, I mean, maybe Gruby starts against Winnipeg and, and, you know, this is sort of a moot point about him being a starter. But it's, you know, if if, if Francis needs to play, you know, two or three games on this Western Canada trip, you know, you need a guy that has to have, you know, confidence and sort of be aggressive than just sort of being like, you know, I'm the backup. Geez, you know, if I only let in three, we got a good shot, I guess, you know. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying. I'm dying because you hit your microphone button in the middle of the word. <laughs> I didn't touch anything. <laughs> Somebody did. That's all. It, 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 it was on your mic, so maybe you got ghosts. He oh, reminds sure. me so very much of Peter Budai in so many ways. <laughs> so it's with, okay Budai played a long time yeah Budai was a really good NHL backup for a really long time and very good in the shootout yeah in shootouts rebounds don't matter so <laughs> <laughs> hey I believed in Peter Budai so with uh, with P.E. Belmar probably taking a break I mean, who's who's next to call up? We've already seen Magno. We've already seen Tynan. If you tell me Sheldon dries, I'll probably just throw up. I think he is the next one up. Unfortunately, uh, Loke, Loke might have sniped him. Maybe. Yeah, O'Connor did have a good game, but dries has the points. Uh, the people want Shane Bowers or Martin Cout. Uh, yeah. It's Mark- not going to be Cout. <laughs> yeah, Cout still hurt. But, but yeah. Bowers scored his first goal. He, he's getting some points. It's like, yeah, O'Connor was second star last night, and Bowers was third. So uh, that's close. I think it really should be Bowers. I mean, it's really easy to drop him in as a real. Looking at you, Sheldon, yeah. to just put him in Belmar's spot and play him. And obviously, Bednar loves him. I, yeah, that's I don't the think only Bednar reason I think it might O'Connor actually happen. as much as he likes it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I, I think the organization likes O'Connor more than Bednar does. I don't but know about that ben, either. But Bednar's gonna have to fight for Bowers because it would go against the the typical wishes of the organization to call Bowers up at this point. Bowers is at twenty five. What are the wishes of the? We're now talking about four. NHL forwards out of the lineup and you've yet to call up a prospect. That's why well, you didn't goes, have prospects at that point. It goes back to the talent crisis. You, you're going to need some talent. If they're too young, it's too bad. You need someone in there that has some upside. Uh, you know, it's pretty predictable that they go through the vets first. So, I mean, this, this is just sort of the abs playbook, but I, I do think this next call up might be a little telling. You know, if, if they do call up Dries, then they're, you know, oh well. I'd be really but, surprised if it's not Dries. 
I'd be very sad if it was. Yeah. But they're gonna have to. They have. I, mean, I don't think Bednar likes dries all that much either. So uh, I don't either. But I mean, he's really the last NHL contracted bet left. So use a prospect. That's, yeah. that's, that's why I'm saying I'd say it's 50-50. We could have a, a happy ending to the story. And you can't be dressing more than one of Magna or Tynan. I mean, it's you, you cannot dress both of them in an NHL game. I don't know. Tynan was fine. Twice. Yeah, Tynan was fine. But not I thought both. He played a good... Not both. Well, I never thought yeah, Tynan Magna looked better. <clears throat> Tynan looked better than Magna for sure. Yeah, he looked like he was actually accomplishing some offense. Yeah, the f- the blowout game, I didn't I wasn't taking any of what he did that seriously. But yeah, he he was accomplishing something in the Columbus game. He was protecting but, the lead in the last four minutes, and he was fine. I was a little cannot bit be a long term solution. I was like, wow, this is his second NHL game, to my knowledge, and we're. Given that level of okay, that's a lot of trust. But whatever. He's a he's a zoomer. He skates fast. He's yeah. like Grimaldi, but yeah. Hey, Nashville turned Grimaldi into an NHL player somehow. Which, that, so yeah. good for them. That's a, that's something in it. So let's uh, before we start looking at the, uh, you know, the looming specter of the annual Western Canada trip, let's look at stars and scratches. Obviously, it's a little bit tough to go back over two weeks of games that cover such a broad array of amazing and terrible. I mean, I'll take the freebie if no one wants him, because Makar is like first star supreme ultimate all the way forever. Gonna win the Calder. Don't even try. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, we didn't even talk enough about Makar. It's just... Let's do it now. Let's do it here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, the, where he's at in relation to, first of all, his peers, his rookies, um, and, and just to defensemen in the NHL in general is, is so impressive. Um, you know, he's leading rookies by five points right now. Um, he's, he's on par with, I think, what is it? Yozy Ellis, Burns, uh, Riley. Yeah, Ellis of- now and Riley. The only reason yeah. that Kale McCarr isn't challenging for the de- the points lead amongst NHL defenders, not rookies, against NHL defenders, is John Carlson is just, like, out of his mind. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's basically got the Norris Trophy locked up right now. <clears throat> um, but still, it just, you know, and then you remember this, this, this dude has 27 NHL games under his belt and he's doing this. So. Yeah. He hasn't even hit his stride yet. He hasn't really, he's had a couple games now where he's taken over, but when he takes over regularly, boy, that's, that's going to be something that's just, it's just the thing we wondered about. It's like we watched them all last year at UMass, you know, and it, skate end to end blam past the goalie i mean yeah that's awesome but it's just like you know what's that going to look like in the nhl and well it's going to look like skate end looks like last night (laughs) i'm gonna (laughs) contradict myself a little bit to be clear i did call kale mccarr the best abs defenseman ever (laughs) (laughs) but 
the college wall is coming and he has not broken through the college wall until he breaks through it in mid December. I fully still expect a drop off from him and he's going to have to prove me wrong in that regard. I think he still is a favorite to win the Calder, even if he does hit the college wall, but you know, we got people out here talking about how he's going to break the all time defensive rookie scoring record. And it's like, he's incredible, but maybe pump the brakes a tiny bit. <laughs> how yeah, many I points think that's is fair. that? It's, I don't, I think it's over 60. I forget the exact number. I'll have to look it up, but. And what did Lyles have? Lyles had what, like 36, something like that is his rookie year. Um, yeah, I think was... he'll smash the Avs defensive rookie record, but. Right. You're, you're and Lyles talking is a... league. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm just saying, you know, be- before you hit that 60 points, you've, you've got to pass Lyles first. Oh, and, yeah. and I agree he's going to have ups and downs, but the thing is is that he's the kind of player that can just find points even when he's not playing well. I really think the only thing that's going to stop him is an injury, so knock on wood, we don't need that. But I Ooh. think... Yeah, like, 76. I don't know, I don't know if that. he's getting over 60. <laughs> I'm not calling that. <laughs> record is that? Larry Murphy. <laughs> You know, I mean, he is on pace for 82, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think one thing that's going to keep him consistent and might help with the wall is just the fact that, that he is able to process what the coaches tell him so quickly and implement it. And, I, and he's going to get the minutes, too. He's Yeah. The minutes are going to be up there, so. I, I think the wall is partly physical, you know, getting past that, that 36th or 40th game. Um, that that you played in college, you know that that's that's sort of a tough barrier to break through. But it, it's also mental and and being able to keep up with sort of the pace of the league increasing. And you know, I I think I'd I'd be not that worried about either. It's just sort of a combination of everything, maybe getting him into the wall a little bit. Maybe it'll be good for him that the Avs play like six games in January. <laughs> Better yeah. for him than it'll be for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind the breaks that happen during the season. I think they're they're nice to give you a chance to do some other things. But it gets excessive sometimes. It's going to be a long one this year. Yeah, it's gonna I be like even... it because it's usually during the Australian Open, and that's you know that's something I like to watch. Well, it's, so. it's it's they're going to have a couple of them to start the year next year when they go to Helsinki and play the Blue Jackets in Finland. I... I kind of like it, too, just because in the end of December and into January is the WJCs, and by the end of that, hockey is like, I've watched five games a day for almost a month, and it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I I just want to play games for a minute. Let me sleep. I mean, I do think the the All-Star break is a good time to refresh. Because, you know, I mean, you know, it's going to be every other night from there on in, so... Well, unless Kel McCarr goes to the All-Star game. <laughs> Second they star. might have to find room for him. <laughs> Second star. I, I picked the first one. Um. Okay, Cam, I'm giving Cam an Okay. Sure. I think, I think as, as we mentioned before, three-game point streak is pretty big for him. He's been pretty solid. He's been improving, and that even includes over the trash fire game. So he gets extra credit for that. So I, I do think Kamenev's earned a star. 
Yeah. I'm, I, mine seems kind of easy too, but I'm going to give mine to McKinnon. Um, I, I think what he's going through is just as tough as what Miko and Landy are going through by you know not being able to play. <clears throat> um, you know he's he's being forced to create everything and create chemistry with new line mates pretty regularly now, and that's sort of something that you know maybe we questioned about his personality in the past whether he can actually deal with adversity, not pout, not mope. Um, you know, he's had several games with 10 plus shots on goal. I mean, I, I even held out of the third period of the Nashville game. He had over 10 or he had 10 shots. So yeah, I wonder about him, especially playing in the Columbus game, because it is not like him to miss practice. Then morning skates. You really have to wonder what he's dealing with and yeah. how much he's pushing through it. Because if he's gone, they're, the lines are pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, he basically can't get hurt, and even if he does, he can't get out of the lineup. So More he's, or less. He's gonna be, yeah, he's going to be playing as long as he's alive for I the mean, next couple weeks. <laughs> we know McKinnon's a volume shooter, but over this streak of the, the losing streak and then these last two games, he's shooting about 2.5%. So... Yeah that's bound to go up a little bit too. Like, I think he's been generating the chances, but he's one of the guys that, you know, the goalies have been getting those lucky saves on where Corpusala just throws out his arm and it hits it somehow. Well, and he's also been taking a lot of bad shots and, and he has. Know, that's the, the, the thing where he got infatuated with shooting from the point, you know, I hope that gets over real quick. Um, but still, I can see him as, as sort of a leader on the team, trying to be consistent, trying to go out there and give it all. And, and you know, again, that this is a maturity that we've seen McKinnon go through over the past couple of years that, that really you, you didn't imagine when he was a younger guy because, you know, he's just sort of out there. <laughs> and I'll toss the extra star to Jonas Donskoy for the hat trick. Well done there. Yep, hat trick's always fun. Half of his... NHL season goal total, and he's not even a quarter of the way into the season. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we roll back to last week when we look at which players we are uh, feeling scratchy about. Ian First Cole. of all, the... <laughs> 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 I was going to say, I let's get the hated injury hated his game over the past couple weeks. Well, yeah. It's so cool. did the abs, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we, we didn't even I, mention Ian Cole caught the healthy scratch against Nashville. Yeah, and it, you know, I, I mean, I I tried to push the narrative that you know that was part of the reason they exploded for all those goals was Cole <laughs> wasn't there, but that's just mean. <clears throat> you never know, but still, I I you know I just don't like his game right now. Um, there there are a lot of things that he can do well enough to to be a positive influence in the lineup, and it. He's just not not getting enough of that done. He has been taking a lot of done penalties, and he's not hunting knees yet. So there is that. Well, he has one job, and that's to be the defenseman that clears the net. Especially now that Francois is a guy in net, he's got to it by watching the last couple games, (laughs) and he just hasn't at all. He's not done that job effectively in any way. Yeah, no, it's. 
you know, and, and I'm actually okay with that because again, it I think it forces the coaching staff to work around that, which they should do anyway. So hopefully, this is a lesson they're learning right now. This is going to put dagger in the hearts of many, but I think Graves has been had some rougher moments, especially the last couple games. I in actually the game where agree. he scored a goal and two assists. I think Graves has been pretty <laughs> overrated by this fan base. I think he's good. I think he's a deserving NHL bottom pairing player, but I think his defense is way worse than people make it out to be. Yeah, I agree. I think it either gets swept under the rug or I don't know what it is because he he's had some major mistakes. I'm just gonna... All right, but let's talk about how he and Makar have played together and contrast that with, with how Makar looked with Zadorov and with Cole. I think we need a bigger sample for that. I, I think it's possible that Graves is the best partner for Makar, but yeah, we I mean, need I to think he's the just right bowl of porridge. I think people will find out pretty quickly that Graves is not Zadorov the longer he's out which the Avs have historically struggled when Zadorov's been out of the lineup, whether that's coincidence or not, but it's true. I do like Graves better than Barbario and Cole, however. So I agree that I'm perfectly fine with him playing every night, but he needs to be a bit better. Yeah, I mean... I. I... I fully agree with that, but just what what I've seen with how he and Makar play together, I, I think that Z was just too chaotic for Makar at this point in his rookie season. I, I think Cole was just too much of something that held Makar back. And, you, you know, Our maybe it's game. just a default. Yeah, maybe it's a default thing, but I just I don't see a better option right now. Think we're still looking for one scratch? Uh, I'd scratch the NHL rulebook and the referees along with it. Uh, the lack of consistency from refing is enough to bug me right now. I think a lot of people have talked about McKinnon complaining about not getting calls, but I think he's mostly justified. He gets hacked on the hands 10 times a game and never gets a call. And then just whoever wrote the new rule about how if it's a stoppage you can challenge it but not if it's a penalty which is also a stoppage is just it doesn't take a genius to look at that rule and realize that this was going to come up yeah or you know at least tell the coach before he's about to challenge that that's what's going to happen i mean that's just sort of like hey i want to challenge all he had to say was well you're going to get a four minute penalty because yeah. this isn't going to work hey and you can't the, challenge the, the big, that, imagine that right. like the puck is dropped within 10 seconds and we're all on our merry way right it, it's the onus is should not be on the coaches to know the rule book better than the fucking refs. Right. You know, this isn't the NFL where you have 10 coaches and they can sit there and just, you know, legislate everything to death. It's <clears throat> literally flipping through the rule book as the game goes on. Yeah. Well, nobody knows the, the audience doesn't know either in, in the moment. It's like, can they challenge this? And, and you're just not sure. It's, well, the announcers don't know either. Nobody knows. Next year, I guarantee they'll be able to challenge that because it's moronic that you can take a penalty and score a goal, but because the refs missed it, you can't challenge that one. 
Right, because think of how that would apply for a different penalty. And I'll, yeah. Uh, just as just as sort of a side note on the refing, like the th the thing where I forget where it was last night, but I think like Kadri got tackled by somebody. This is yeah. the third, I think, yeah, on the power play. Yeah, both, both yeah. the Avs penalties that went that way. Yeah, and then <laughs> you know, and then the Avs do the same thing and they get called, and you're just like, "Come on, dude!" I mean, I know right. you're trying to get give the other team a chance, make this a fight, but you know. It it's you because Colorado were already on a five-minute power play for a major, and officials are cowards and don't want to give you a two-minute five-on-three. <clears throat> That's all it is. Well, the thing is, like, sure, what Barbario did was 100% interference. Yeah. But so was Kadri getting tackled. Just call it <laughs> yeah. consistently. I don't care. Like, the team will adjust if you're not calling something a certain way. But if you're just making it up as you go, nobody wins. I've, I've had a lot of fun this last couple of weeks saying officiating is random, but there's one thing that's not random, and that's that officials are cowards. And that, yeah. And you see the same thing with, with the playoff rulebook getting smaller, the playoff overtime rulebook getting smaller. It's because they're afraid to influence the game. Refs are cowards. I'm scratching Nick Foligno. Fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah definitely. Much. Big big boy scratch. I hope he gets at least like three or four games. Can we scratch the injury bug? If that kills it, yes. <laughs> That's true. It might not kill it. Just, when is it going to stop? <laughs> it's been pretty crazy. It'll yeah. stop the day altitude signs with Comcast. Oh, that could be it. <laughs> and I've got, I'm guessing two for Felino. I think two I don't think they're going to throw. The, yeah. I don't think they're going to throw the book at him. I'd like to see it be closer to like five. But I think two is probably where it ends up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think if he had a history of this, you know, it, it would be more. But right, they're I, not going to take the context here. They're just going to look at the hit and not talk about how he tried to kill Makar too. Yeah, I mean, if this is Rafi yeah. Torres, he's getting an in-person um, hearing for sure. But since it's Nick Foligno, he doesn't. Which we can we can debate whether that's got any merit to it as a system at another time. What we need to do now is uh, talk about next week and the week after that, because we'll be away next week, but then back at you the Monday before Thanksgiving here in the U.S., which is a day I believe is known in Canada as Thursday. In the meantime, Colorado have their Western Canada trip on the itinerary right when the polar vortex comes south and we all die of exposure, so that'll be fun. The trip begins on Tuesday in Winnipeg, 6 o'clock mountain, then heads to Edmonton on Thursday, 7 o'clock mountain. Saturday, they're in Vancouver for the Macar versus Hughes rivalry to get underway. 8 o'clock mountain there. Should be a ton of fun. Vancouver have been a lot better than expected this year, so I'm interested to get a good up-close look at them. Tuesday of the following week, they're in Calgary for a 7 o'clock rematch against the Flames, who are in trouble, actually. Um, they are right behind the Oilers in points, but... The way they're getting there is just a little yikesy. Uh, Thursday, they come back across the border with a stop in Minnesota to take on the stupid wild at 6 o'clock mountain. Finally, on Saturday, an early evening tilt with Tyson Berry and the Toronto Maple Leafs. 5 o'clock mountain. All games are on altitude, and all Saturday games are on Hockey Night in Canada. This is kind of an interesting road trip because it's long, but there's no back-to-back, -back, so it's like a regular schedule pace and they're just gone for two weeks you know i thought that exact same thing like they usually play back to back either calgary edmonton or edmonton vancouver 
Or Winnipeg, Vancouver, for some reason. Even though that's obviously bad. But there's no back-to-backs here, which is very nice. And I hate tacking on... The the thought of just tacking on a division game at the end of a long road trip. That seems... I would complain about that if I was in the front office, because that doesn't seem like a great idea. I know it's Minnesota, but then that would be even extra depressing to lose that game. Yeah, we've already seen that happen with St. Louis. That's that's how we lost Miko. <laughs> Blame the schedule um, for losing Miko. Yes, that's true. We can. Um, this They generally have trouble with this western swing they do so it will be interesting to see and like you mentioned vancouver is scoring goals at least so we'll see how very good defensively at least you know statistically everyone says they have an easy schedule but i don't know none of these teams play the system that has given the Avs trouble this year though yeah Uh, winnipeg might winnipeg's Winnipeg's kind of just bad they've done better lately Climbed out of the the hole, and then yeah, Edmonton. The we'll, one. we'll see how real Edmonton is, even though they always have trouble playing up in Edmonton. Yeah, that McDavid guy's pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and they got rid of Milan Lucic and added James Neal instead. And I don't know what he's been doing now, but James Neal started the season off just like preposterously hot. Like you, like give me a break level of hot. And then the first game back against the Leafs, I'd usually say they they should That's do like all right against the Leafs. Lost. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but it's the Leafs. I, I like how no, because I mean the they, they, they've just this. been horrible coming back home, and it's tough. The first game after long road trips tough too. So yeah, it's... that's that's what I'm saying. I'm, the Abs yeah. are. I think they're five and one against the Leafs in yeah, my YouTube era. Someone else, I'd so. be more worried. Yeah, it's an interesting <clears throat> situation because the Avs have the ex-Avs problem, where ex-Avs like to score on them. But Toronto's kind of got the same thing, and maybe it's yeah. more so in Toronto. But you you can expect lots and lots of goals in this game from Nazem Kadri, Alex Kerfoot, and Tyson Berry. Yeah, I always said if there was one person to reverse that curse for the abs, it would be Kadri against the Leafs. Like he would come up in there and just have a monster game. So, and if we don't get a butt goal from Kerfoot, we're not getting our money's worth. <laughs> I, I, so far, the only person that can stop Tyson Berry from scoring is Mike Babcock. So, right. Yep, and he'll definitely be there. <laughs> Barry will get the sads watching Makar join the rush. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Tyson Barry in, in episode in Toronto um, on, on the next episode because that's not been a match made in heaven. No. No, so, I could see him looking very homesick. <laughs> so I'm really not sure what to expect from this trip since a big piece of what's been problematic for it in the past is just weird shit like back-to-backs um there was the they had a back-to-back last year where they were both goaltending losses and it wasn't because they played varley both games or something silly like that like i don't know what to expect yeah now this is this is a tough one to call it's uh, you know, I'm 500, or, 500 or better would be nice if they could yeah, if you throw in the Toronto game, I'd say three and three. Yeah. 
Would would that be acceptable for y'all? Three and three? Oh yeah. I think oh, so. Yeah. I think at this point holding serve with five hundred's fine. They'll need to go on another streak or two, but I think it would show improvement to actually be just be consistent, be able to find that five hundred equilibrium. Boy, As St. Louis has opened up a five-point lead on the division, haven't they? Yeah, they they rolled out a little bit, but they won like their last seven games in a row, but five of them were in overtime or something, so yeah. they're all getting pretty lucky. Mm. Um, yeah, it, I think winning these last two games was pretty big because now the pressure's off a little bit. They don't have to rush Rantanen back anymore. Had they lost those two, I think Rantanen would definitely be on this trip. But now they can kind of keep the same lineup. Hopefully, Groob is back, you know, halfway through this trip or whatever. Yeah, that's the other thing. They don't have to rush Grubauer because if Frank had lost, I think they definitely would rush Grubauer. So they're in an okay spot if they can go 500. You know, being a 500 team without your stars is good enough to get you to the playoffs, assuming your stars come back in a reasonable amount of time. Without your stars or your depth guys at this point. Yeah, pretty much anyone, but yeah. They, they prove they're capable of doing it, now they just have to go and do it. I'm going to be a little bit smiley on this one and go with eight points. Okay. You know, I I think... I, I'm really interested in the Vancouver matchup, just because Vancouver... You know they're playing differently than they have over the past few years, and we've got the whole McCarr versus Hughes dynamic, which I I think on the ice I don't know how interesting it's going to be, but in the papers I think it's going to be really kind of fun. I mean I'm just looking around the league, and Vancouver have only allowed 47 goals, and the other teams like the only other teams in that area are teams that allow no fun at all, like Arizona and the Islanders. Who've only yeah, like, like Boston is somehow. the only team that's in that that sort of area that uh, you'd consider sort of good. Yeah, Boston and Pittsburgh are the only ones that have like a good differential with low goals against. Everyone else that has low goals against is like Dallas and Anaheim and teams that have their goals for in the same kind of area. Yeah. So, I'm real curious to see how for real Vancouver looks. Obviously, you won't find that from one game against one team, but I'm interested. And Calgary to be, you know, 23 points at this point with a plus one differential. That's fascinating to me. (laughs) Like, (laughs) how are you 10-7-3 with a plus one goals? I think they've been better lately, too. You mean not great, but better at least? Well, they haven't had Milan Lucic lately. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's that all a mirage, true. man. I think the Pacific Division is such a fake, and they yeah. started off hot, and it's all going to fall apart like it does every year. Yeah, I don't... I I, I don't think... I, you look at all those teams, and, and you're just like, well, is it Edmonton for real? I mean, doubt it. Uh, Vancouver, I mean, that's just a big question mark. Calgary, we kind of know what's up with them, and it's not that great. <clears throat> got some bad teams in that division. Then you got teams like Anaheim and Arizona that just want to claw your eyes out when you have to watch them. We won't see them, but I'm real curious how bad San Jose is. Yeah. 
They're bad. They've been bad. Like so we we have those graphs that uh that go around Twitter basically daily, and I think one of the best ones is actual goal differential versus xG differential. So where you have kind of your areas of, you know, you've been good with good luck or you know, you've you've been pretty unlucky but playing well, that that kind of thing you can see like, you know, based on what the expected goals are and how many goals you've actually scored and kind of get an idea where a team's been at. And San Jose has been consistently in the bad and unlucky square all season long. (laughs) (laughs) Bad and deserved. Well, I think unlucky is pretty much all on their goalie. Yeah, I mean, luck is really the wrong (laughs) word for this. (laughs) They've been getting some horrendous goaltending and it's, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, they can outscore their problems well. No, they can't. Not this time. <laughs> although, although they did just beat Nashville for us last night. Thank you very much. Yeah. Although they tried not to. Yeah. But yeah, Martin Jones is... Yeah. Not the joy we're looking for. Um, yeah. Alright, so Western Canada trip coming up next week. And... I mean, fuck it. 12 points. <laughs> Get them. <laughs> It's not going to happen. It'll probably be closer to seven. I wanted to say seven, but I hate odd numbers for these. Well, I'll take seven for you. (laughs) And the overtime loss will be... What's the latest game? Vancouver, that one. (laughs) I could see that one go to overtime. Yeah. The last overtime loss to Vancouver spiral this team out of control. (laughs) (laughs) What are the chances that's going to happen again? We'll see how much they've really (laughs) learned. And when we find out how much they've... I think we'll actually learn a lot about this team in the next couple of weeks. Um, Especially if we start to see maybe one or two players come back. Um, I think think we're going to learn a whole lot real soon. Um, Or come up. Or come up. I'm not even sure what that means. But whatever we learn... (laughs) Called up. Whatever we learn, you know, you can always find out here on Burgundy Radio, which you can catch on SoundCloud or on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play or on Spotify. Um, Burgundy Radio is the name of the handle on Twitter. And we post every episode on Burgundy Review as well, just for fun. And you can come yell at us on the Burgundy Review Discord whenever you feel like it. I'm usually on there. Um, We're head up get to the dirty areas, including most of us from Canada. And we will see you next time. Kale Makar is God. <laughs> hold on. It's hold just on, I, hold, on, I, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think that I, I've got major robot. I don't know what's going on, but robot got, to the max mode. Yeah, it's probably me. It's not. It's not the first glitch I've heard. <clears throat> it's definitely the worst. You sound fine to me. Y- y'all yeah. don't sound yeah. fine, sounds fine to me. Y'all are all like hella cut up. Okay. Discord is a piece of shit. I know it's me because I hear it on all of you. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't hear it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me reconnect.